Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. I'm Kylie Camps and welcome to the podcast. This space is dedicated entirely to making a difference in the lives of women. I believe we all have a right and a responsibility to truly live our best lives. It all begins with curiosity, changing our thinking and cultivating more self-love. Through thoughtful conversations and shared experiences, I really hope that you can take something away from this podcast. I'm a business owner, a speaker, a sleep consultant, and mum of twin boys. I've also recently completed some training in the cognitive behavioral therapy space, and I'm super, super passionate about the ability that we all have to really improve our days. And ultimately, when we take ownership of improving our days, we're really improving our whole life. So let's get stuck into today's episode. Today's episode is a conversation with Jackie Ward from The Brave Space. We cover a lot during our chat today. There are so many tangents we could have latched onto and really run with because Jackie is super, super passionate about so many areas of parenting and also just about supporting mums and women in general. She is an absolute breath of fresh air to speak with. And truth be told, we could have spoken for so much longer. And I know this chat is already about an hour long. So that says a lot that we could have kept going. But we touch on things such as explosive behavior or when kids act out. We speak about highly sensitive children and raising little ones who might just need some extra support or who perhaps learn a little differently. We talk about how important it is to disentangle our identity as parents from our children's behavior. There's a lot in this chat. We also speak about labeling and the word naughty and there's so much in here. I really, really hope you enjoy it. Jackie is a provisional psychologist, postgraduate psychology student, and she has a special interest in infant mental health and developmental psychology. As I mentioned, she's from The Brave Space. She's actually the founder of The Brave Space, which is an online support hub for parents raising children who need a little extra support. Let's get stuck in to this conversation with the very, very caring, kind, beautiful, wonderful Jackie Ward. Jackie, thank you so much for taking time out of your day to have this conversation with me and for our community. I'm really, really grateful. Oh, a total pleasure. It's so nice to be here. We were just saying before we hit record that it's so strange when you talk to someone that you follow online because we both follow each other. Um, So it's really, really cool to actually connect properly. Um, And we've had you speak in our Kind Parenting Company forums before and we get such great feedback. So very, very excited to explore this topic with you. Now, before we do, dive into today's topic. Could you tell our listeners a little bit about who you are and what it is that you do? Yeah, sure. So I guess importantly, I'm a mum myself. I have three little ones. I've got a six-year-old, a four-year-old and a baby girl who's um, 15 months now. So that's me at home. And then on the work side of things, um, I'm currently a provisional psychologist, which means I'm just completing my master's. So when that's done, I'll be um, registered as a clinical psych. Um, And I guess my main area of interest has always been in infant mental health and developmental psychology. So a lot of the work I do is focused on supporting the well-being of little ones, but um, what I most love is supporting their mums um, 
in terms of particularly children who are um, experiencing challenges in terms of challenging behaviours, perhaps they're differently wired, um, may have diagnoses, things like autism, ADHD, um, anxiety, whole range of things. But um, my main yeah, area of interest is supporting mothers through these periods of challenge in their parenting because I really believe in the, the huge influence and power that mums have to support the well-being of their whole families when they've got the right info and support. So that's a bit about what I do. <laughs> Absolutely. I feel like as, as the mum in a family, we kind of are the glue that holds it all together. Oh, yeah, without doubt. Without doubt, so, I think that's common for many mums and in families. So, yeah, it's true. Now, you touched on behaviour there. So I really want to grab that thread and start there because I often receive questions coming through Instagram, and I know you do as well, asking, you know, how can parents deal with, and I'm using air quotes here, naughty behavior you know Mm. I had one just yesterday and it was a question that came through and it was along the lines of how can I stop my child from being friends with the naughty kid at school Uh and like my my gut reaction is oh like the labeling using the word naughty the you know putting a kid in a in a container because of a certain behavior and so I would love to start there with you today Jackie Mm mm-hmm Yes. Okay. I love this topic and I love that we are having this chat today because um, it's something I think that we are all going to come up against and experience and think about and have to process as we mother our little ones because, okay, so let's talk about the naughty thing first, right? This is like you say, for me, this causes a bit of a reaction in in me and and stirs up a lot of things. I do not uh, in any way... um, Basically, I think that this this comes about, this labelling of naughty and, you know, naughty children, naughty behaviour, bad behaviour, because it's the way we're socialised to um, look at these behaviours, right? It's, it's prevalent through the whole of society, through the messaging that we get as mothers, through the things we overhear from, you know, maybe conversations you have with your, your parents, the way you were raised the way certainly um, culturally children that present with challenging behaviours are labelled. So, yeah, it's through no fault of mothers that we, um, you know, come to talk about things in this way. But what I think is really um, important is that we re relook and reconceptualize how we label and how we talk about these challenging behaviors in young children um, in a new way. And that's something that, you know, hopefully we can talk a bit more about today. Mm, absolutely and it's funny isn't it because it's just kind of a loaded word naughty and like at the end of the day it is just a word that we place attachment on so I don't think it's it's really um about going oh the word naughty is something that should never be in your vocabulary I think it's more the sweeping statement of that is a bad child because of bad behavior or that is a naughty child because of naughty behavior Mm -hmm. it's kind of for me going okay can we not see that there is a child who is exhibiting a behavior and yes it might not be an ideal behavior it might be poor behavior whatever you want to label it but let's not sort of go okay that's that kid's broken yeah let's just label them and move them to the side and really sort of more look I guess on a granular level at what that behavior is and why that behaviour is happening and how we can support that child. And it's something I'm often saying, you know, whether it's on social media or with the client parenting company or in conversation just with other mums is I think that we really have to remind ourselves very, very often, me included, that when it comes to our kids, rather than responding to the symptom, it's looking for the cause. So the symptom can be, the shitty behavior, the behavior that's, <laughs> that's like really, really hard to handle. Yeah. But what is the actual cause? Yes, I 100% agree. And I think in those moments, and I know how challenging they are, like I said, I'm a mum too and I've got um, one of my little guys in particular is, um, you know, bright and quirky and quite strong-willed and, and can be really challenging in his behaviours. He's got some pretty big behaviours sometimes. So I know how challenging it is and there's really two pieces, I think, to all of it. One is managing ourselves and our own, you know, emotional reactions and feelings and views about our kids' behaviour. And then, of course, the other piece, just recognising that any behaviours 
that are coming from our kids are really, really there serving a point of communication to us, signalling that there's something going on there because it's never about the hitting or the biting or the screaming or whatever it might be. There's always something underlying that that's they're trying to communicate essentially. Mm. So for parents who are experiencing say explosive behaviors perhaps we start there and then we can chat a little more about anxiety and more sensitive little ones but say for the families who are having those explosive outbursts yeah and I guess it's so broad because you know our listeners could have toddlers they could have primary school aged kids but just in general if a family's struggling with those behaviors where their kids are lashing out and they're getting physical Mm. where do parents begin like yeah yeah definitely and I think like you said it is so broad I recognize that we've got mums here from you know brand new bubbies all the way up to teens but the beautiful thing is it's kind of this conversation is relevant across those ages so Mm. I think the first thing to recognize you know we spoke about um words like naughty and connotations with that it's really important to realize um, that there's this paradigm out there at the moment that's in our education systems and, you know, social systems that basically conceptualises behaviour as good or bad and that is behaviour that's compliant or non-compliant. And so um, this is the reason that we often use um, rewards or social consequences for little ones. And, look, sometimes that can be effective for some kids when we're looking to redirect or help them learn better ways to manage feelings Um, But what another really, I would encourage everyone just to sort of think about a new paradigm that's coming through based on some really amazing research and um, neuropsychology is considering the fact that sometimes our little ones, the reason that they can't be compliant is not because they don't want to be. um, And the reason that all these challenging behaviours come about can be because their behaviour underlying, so all the reasons underlying um, their challenging behaviours basically comes down to the fact that um, developmentally perhaps they're in a position where they they aren't ready to meet the demands being put on them. So basically we need to consider um, our kids' physiology too, what's going on in their bodies and their brains because if children are in, I'm sure we've all heard of that fight or flight response that we go into um, when we're, we're feeling challenged, um, they, they're in a position where these challenges, these sorry, these behaviours are going to, to flare up um, and that's really a signal that we need to be looking at how we can help them regulate on a, like on a physical level be, before we can then teach the skills that they need to manage those behaviours. Mm, there's a lot there to unpack. Yeah. I think focusing on what you've just mentioned there, in particular about the whole system being set up as they're good, they're bad, there's compliance, there's non-compliance. But as parents, we absolutely must need to be aware that it runs so much deeper than just compliant and non-compliant. And it comes down to, at times, the circumstance that is going on below the surface for kids. So say they are in that fight, flight, freeze, parasympathetic nervous system overload, their ability to either comply or not comply is compromised they're not starting from a base of being either able to choose yes or no they're in this whole other sort of vortex of going well I I can't do either right now because everything in my being is telling me to fight so I actually can't comply right now because my whole nervous system and we have to remember as adults it's so hard for us to override our nervous system with our logical brain, let alone for a little one who's not got full prefrontal cortex development. It's so hard for them to use logic. They can't and override their nervous system nor to even recognise what's going on. So it's like as parents, not just looking at your child and going, oh, here, look, it's so simple, Johnny. It's either yes or no. First of all, you have to get them into onto a platform where they can actually choose yes or no. Yes, yes. And, I, yeah, that's so true. I kind of went off on a tangent. But I think if we're looking for that first thing that we should be doing to support our kids that are showing these challenges, it really is um, getting their physiology and their little systems back to a place of being regulated because it's only when they are feeling safe and calm and um, connected to us as their caregivers and parents that they're going to be able to learn and behave in a way that's, you know, um, well, I'd put in inverted commas, right or, you know, 
self-regulate basically. So mm. that's the best place to start, I think. And we all have different ways, I think, of self-regulating. You know, I'm thinking even when it comes to sleep for babies and toddlers, Jackie, some toddlers will regulate and get to sleep by using their hand and hitting the mattress. You know, Mm -hmm. they'll have a rhythm. And it's the same sort of thing, I think, and correct me if I'm wrong, but for kids sometimes to bring themselves back online, some of that regulation might look like acting out in terms of they might need to stomp their feet to get back online or they might need to retreat. Like there's so many, I guess, you know, for lack of a better expression, different ways to skin a cat. Yeah. You really do have to get to know your child and know how to get them to that base level or understand how they're doing that for themselves. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's, you've just nailed it there, essentially. This is also individual. So there's so much great content out these days um, about self-regulation. And I think that's a really, really good thing. Like if we can be aware of this and the fact that developing the ability to regulate ourselves is like a skill that gets refined and learned as we go along. So all that information is great, but when it boils down to it, we need to just be really attuning to our little ones as individuals. And like you said, every child is going to be different in terms of what they need and how much of it. So it's a process of kind of figuring it out with your little one as you go along, what the best way to help them through that is. And there are going to be stages and ages and developmental phases all oh, that yeah. <laughs> um, when it actually is really appropriate that your son or daughter is experiencing you know, communication, frustration, for example, and so they're acting out. So how could we help parents know, I guess, the difference between this is expected or yeah. quite common acting out versus, okay, this has gone to another level? Because yeah. I think it can kind of either go one of two ways, Jackie. I think some families can be very much like, oh, well, it's normal and not realising, hey, you know, other four-year-olds might not actually be punching holes in walls you know they've Mm -hmm. they've come to just go you know my son or daughter escalates really quickly and that's just the way it is and then the other end of the stick is we have families who are like oh my my toddler had an absolute fit because you know he wanted to wear his left shoe on his right foot there must be something wrong and they're racing off for a diagnosis yeah families I guess sort of have more awareness and be more dialed into what is a common, even if it's an overreaction, but a common reaction versus something they perhaps need to explore? Yeah, sure. So um, basically, as as is probably intuitive to everyone, though, um, each child will develop at their own rate. And so while there are like these developmental guides or milestones that we, we look to, um, the process is really individual as to when each child will reach them. And if you throw in, you know, um, additional things like perhaps I mentioned previously um, differences in wiring of like the brain, so conditions like ADHD or autism, that's going to affect the timeline as well. So a good way to sort of ascertain whether your child does have volitional control over their behaviour or not is whether that behaviour is willful and good way to check that is if your little one is having a hard time but they are responsive to you being there and offering you know positive rewards positive reinforcement and that's able to help flip the behavior around then that's a really good indication that they are in volitional control of their emotions and they're regulating if however the situation escalates to a point where they've gone completely offline you know as you spoke about Mm -hmm. before Their nervous system has absolutely kicked into that fight, flight or freeze response. That is a sign then that they, their physiology is telling us um, and, you know, reflecting in their behaviours that something's gone offline and it's actually not within their control anymore. And so no amount of sticker charts or positive reinforcement or social consequences at all are really going to have any impact on our children that are in this particular um, state because they're, you know, they've flipped their lid according to that, the hand brain model. Some of you might have heard about Dan Siegel's really great hand model um, that explains this. So that's sort of a good way to separate between whether the behaviour is intentional or um, is is operating basically from this um, space that's outside of our child's control. Mm, and that's such a good, a good thing to talk about and explain, Jackie, because 
not just for parents who are dealing with trying to parent when their kids are offline, for lack of a better expression, but also yeah. for those families who haven't experienced experienced it. You know, I've been really honest in saying that one of one of my boys has really, really struggled with school drop-offs. And yeah. now for other parents who have not experienced their child shutting down in that way and going offline, mm. they cannot understand that he cannot be, you know, coerced. He can't yes. talk into any like it's it's just not even if you've not experienced trying to deal with a kid that's completely shut down, it's yeah. so hard to understand. So I love that you've explained that because, you know, I've had parents say to me, Oh, just, you know, stick a chart to XYZ and it's like, no mate, he's not <laughs> he's not even there. He's past nope. that point where I could say to him if you don't let me go right now, I'm going to set myself on fire. And he wouldn't know yeah. how to, like, you know what I mean? Like he can't oh. even, there's nothing that could help him in that situation as an extrinsic motivator. It really is about getting him back online so yes. that he can get to that point. Yes, like, this I'm is so it. I'm so glad that you spoke about that. Yeah, and I love that. Yeah, me too. And I um, too have spoken about the fact that one of my little guys, he's highly sensitive, um, that's just his, in his, his nature he too struggled with the drop-off and separation and yeah I get it sometimes people would say you know this is a few years ago now when I was at the start of this journey with him and people would say oh you know you've just got to be really upbeat and send him off and off you go and I'd watch other mums do that and you know that can be effective for some children but for some it's that's just not going to cut it Mm. um and I just had a thought on that oh yeah I just wanted to mention so for mothers who's perhaps their girlfriends haven't experienced this with their little ones in in whatever format. It doesn't need to be just the separation um, issue. It might be the big behaviours issue or the, you know, the challenging behaviours that we spoke about, kicking, aggression, that sort of thing. For other parents that haven't experienced with their children, it's hard to understand. And so I think sometimes as mums, when we are experiencing it, we normally attribute it to something that we are doing wrong or not doing or should be doing better or something like that. And I guess that's a whole nother conversation, but I just wanted to highlight this because that's a really hard place to go to as a mum, but it's, it's absolutely unwarranted. It's nothing that you are doing or not doing in your parenting often. It's, it's just the, the way that particular child is. Mm, I really want to dive into that. But before we do, I just want to be really, really clear for parents who are having that experience where they're mm-hmm. not sure if, you know, it's a common behaviour for that age group yes. or if it's something, you know, a little bit more, really just encouraging them, I guess, Jackie, to go, okay, can I penetrate their world? Can I talk to them? Mm-hmm. Can I get them online? And if they can't, if, yeah. they're, if they're at their tether, and it's exhausting. Like I, <sighs> I can only imagine for parents who are struggling with little ones who are, you know, perhaps having learning differences or... I think you Mm. use the term wired differently to process information. Mm. I can only imagine the heartache and the exhaustion and the fatigue of trying to get there. But where do parents go with that? If they're they're feeling lost and overwhelmed, what do you suggest? Yeah, that was so important. I'm glad you raised that. So I guess the good broad guideline is if you feel like your little one or you are having these struggles with them behaviourally, um, cognitively, whatever it might be, and it's causing, it's at the point where you, your gut feel is that it's gone beyond what's normal developmentally, normal in inverted commas. Um, my best suggestion then, if it's causing distress to your child on an ongoing way or causing ongoing concern for you, the best thing to do is start with a chat with your GP or paediatrician. If that comes to nothing and they have a chat with you about what's going on and they say, oh, no, that all sounds fairly typical, um, then great. But if your gut still says, no, 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 this is beyond, then, yeah, absolutely just explore that option because it's often at around that age two and above, so onwards, that we start to get these flags. And so many of the mums I know say to me, I had this feeling in my gut from age 18 months, two, three, whatever it might be, but everyone said, no, 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 it's normal. And then they go on to realise a couple of years later that there is something going on there that needs additional support. And yeah, the mother's instinct is powerful. So if that's what your gut's telling you, it's best to explore that with a professional. Mm, Absolutely. Now, you mentioned about parents feeling like their child's behaviour is a reflection of something they've not done right. And I think that this is such 
a um, such a normal common experience experience for mums we want to be able to point to someone to take responsibility and we're always pointing the finger at us yes. you know like it's, we just it seems to be like our default it's like oh you know and I can put my hand up and say I do this the boys are not great eaters and Jackie I'm like oh that's because I chose not to do baby led weaning I oh. fed them pureed food <laughs> so that's my fault <laughs> that you know there probably is some you know grains of truth in there but it just carries across doesn't it it's like what yes. have I done wrong but you know what? yesterday I was having this this thought to myself as I was doing the school drop-off and we have a drop-off in plan that means I walk in I stay in the kids classroom for 10 minutes and then my little sensitive guy allows me to go and he's too sweet and I was yep. sat there during this 10 minute time and I'm watching him and he is so aware of where I am you know at mm. the corner of his eye he's like there's my mum and mm. then I'm watching my other kid and he is like faffing around with his mates, grabbing his hat. He's up the other end of the oval. And I'm like, fuck me. They're identical <laughs> twins who have been raised the same. But here I am like, oh, it's my fault. He's yes. Like yes. But, but I'm not like, oh, aren't I great that my other son's like that? You know what I mean? Like it's, oh. they're always so quick to grab the negative and be like, oh, this is my cross to bear. Uh -huh. And I think part, part of it is, we love our children so much that we want to put them on some sort of pedestal and be like, well, this can't be their shortcoming. This must be mine. Yes. Oh, my gosh. And in a way, you are the perfect person to have this conversation because you've yes, got this identical twins. <laughs> organic situation. DNA. Oh, it's magic. It's uh, oh, so magic. So, yes, everything you just said, yes. And I love this because I think we just basically having conversations like this raise our consciousness of what's going on and when we are aware of this we can take a pause and take a load off ourselves because essentially the reason that mums or a big factor that you know playing into why mothers are like this does come down to our like intense love and connection for our children and want for everything to be great but it's also what society has told us. We've got this myth that we all try and live up to, the perfect child myth or the, the good child myth, right? And if listeners are interested in this, I would encourage you go and check out Dr. Sophie Brock's work. She talks a lot about um, the perfect mother myth and, yeah, she's got a whole lot of brilliant content that I love. But this perfect child myth, right, is that children, good children, um, should be quiet and compliant and cruisy and, you know, yeah, perfect the, manners. Oh, yeah, the manners and they eat well and they sleep well. And this all buys into the fact that if when our, when our children aren't doing all these things because they're human and they won't, um, well, then it must be something that the mother did or didn't do or did wrong or so. And we carry this because this is the messaging that we receive and the pressure that we put on ourselves. But yeah, I just wanted to call that out for what it is. It's a myth and let's all just be aware that children are little humans who are going to have developmental leaps and struggles and hurdles and us as their mothers, we are not responsible for all of those stages and phases mm -hmm. that they're going to go through. We're just there to support them. And it is really hard to zoom out yeah. and to allow your kids to experience their own journey and go through their own waves of adversity and to kind of disentangle your identity from them. But yes. it's so important to yeah. do that yeah. because I guess it's, you know, um, our job really is to not become or to not have our kids become codependent on us for their whole life. Yeah. At some, at some point it, it is, it's di disentangling your, your stuff from them. Yeah, and I would argue this is one of the most valuable, kind things we can do for our children is to do this work ourselves, to think about and reflect on this and catch ourselves out when we fall into these default patterns because when we do, we, yeah, raise our awareness, raise our consciousness of what's going on and we're able to, it makes it easier to zoom out. But, you know, I get that it's hard when you're in the trenches and making the lunch boxes and trying to make sure everybody's eating well and getting enough sleep. It, it's tricky, right? But. Yeah, it is. It is really tricky. And I think what you said about, you know, having conversations just like this or even just listening to a conversation like this where other mums are saying, hey, we've experienced this or we've noticed that it can, like you said, I think, raise your consciousness and your awareness. Yeah. Do you have any other pointers for mums to sort of zoom out, I guess? Um, 
I really think um, a good thing to do is just to um, try and, and I know how hard this can be, it can be a big ask, but try and step out of your um, your daily experience, I suppose, and just try and be like a um, neutral observer is the best way to describe it, I suppose. So as we've talked about, the the dynamics and the relationship we have with our kids being so close and complex and full of love and responsibility and all these great things can make it so that we become a little bit blind to our own biases and our own stuff that we carry as much. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Others. But if you're able just to step back, have a breath and, and take the pressure off yourself as being the, the carrier of all for your child, you'll be more likely to catch yourself out when you're behaving in a way that um, perhaps maybe doesn't really fit with your values that you truly believe, but is just things that you've taken on because you think you should or you think is the right way to be doing things. But yeah, it's, it's a practice for sure, but it's one that's valuable. Mm, something I try and do as well there's two kind of thought exercises that I find helpful um the first one is ever since I guess coming into this podcasting world over the last couple of years and becoming a fully fledged podcast junkie like I'm always (laughs) listening to interviews I love them a thread that I hear a lot is when guests are interviewed they speak about their childhood and they'll say things like my mum X, Y, Z, you know, my mum really allowed me to whatever it is or she encouraged me this way. If I'm in a situation where I'm like, holy hell, I don't know what to do here, I try and zoom out and be like, okay, in 20 years if the kids were being interviewed, Mm. what would I love them to say? I would love them to say, you know, my mum let me fail or my mum let me learn this lesson. I try and do that because it's really hard in the moment when your kid is – three when they're seven when they're 12 you want to swoop in and fix it but really our job as parents is to raise our kids and part of raising them is pulling them up to that next bar to that next challenge it's like training you know for life's big ups and downs they've got to go over little you know, little, what's the word, molehills before they get over the mountain. So I try and go, okay, if they were in an interview when they're 30, what would (laughs) I want them to say? And that helps, that really does help me to sort of lean into a behaviour that might not feel natural because my natural inclination is to fix the problem in the moment. You know, an example I can give of this is just last week we got to school and my other little guy who normally is totally, I mean, he's fine with drop-offs, he could care less, he's so... He really could care less. Um, but we arrived at school and his, he realised he'd forgotten his Pokemon cards and he had made a deal with one of his friends to make a special trade and he really wanted his Pokemon cards and he'd left them on the kitchen bench. Mm-hmm. And I can tell you he was so upset and so um, hard on himself because he knew his friend would be would feel potentially let down. And Every fibre in my being was like, it's okay, mate. I'll go home and get the cards. Yeah. You know, I will, you know, you're so upset and I can see that this isn't just about you being upset that you've forgotten them. This is getting spirally for him. He's like, but I told so-and-so then, you know, and he is by nature a very, um, he keeps his word. He's just, he's, he's a really, really sweet kid. And I could tell that it was going beyond just, he was upset that he'd forgotten them. And yeah. so I was like, okay, I'll get in the, this is what I, in my head. Okay. It's, it's all right, mate. It's eight 30. I'll turn around. You play here. I'll be back before your friends arrive and you'll have your cards. But yeah. I'm like, no, this is, this is what I had to say, literally say to myself, Jackie was, this is a chance for him to learn 
And yes. what he's going to learn right now is if something's important, he's responsible for it. And he's also going to learn to have a tough conversation with a friend about letting them down. Yeah. And that, or, or his friend's not even going to care. And then he's going to have a, hopefully realize he was all worked up for no reason, which mm-hmm. is another life lesson. And mm-hmm. so I had to like really, really bite my tongue and be like, oh, this sucks. I want to fix yeah. it. I can't. Yes. This is an opportunity for him to learn and go over that little molehill. Yeah. It will prepare him for, you know, bigger mountains as he grows and progresses. So I wanted to share those two thought exercises because I think as parents, when we're in it, we want to fix it, but actually disentangling ourselves mm-hmm. enough to remember what our real job is. It's it's yeah. the long game. It's yes. not it's not solving the problem in this innings. It's like, okay, what's actually gonna serve us all in the long run? Yes. And I think that is so relevant, especially for mums who are naturally will often take this role as the fixer. Like we can fix anything, right? Even if you had an appointment at 9.15. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Exactly. So even if you had a 9.15 appointment to get to and you hadn't had breakfast and all the other things, you would have still been able to get yourself back there, get those Pokemon cards and return them in time. I have no doubt you could have done that, but you're right. It's a gift to our children when these, you know, age-appropriate little challenges come up to be able to give them that, to show them, hey, you can do these hard things, we're all okay, and it's actually enriching. You know, there's a lot of buzz about resilience in children and, you know, all the great outcomes that are linked to resilience and that's essentially what these little molehills are there for, to build Mm. our kids' resilience and and that is a positive, that is a gift we can give. So in terms of an exercise perhaps linked to those thought exercises, and I know you've spoken because I, I listened to your podcast too, you did one once about thinking about your values. And I think it's a really, really great thing to do as mothers because, you know, a lot about our identity shifts when we become mums is to sit down and just spend some time reflecting or journaling or daydreaming in the car as you drive about what your core values are and let them be your guide in the tricky moments. What do I want? Mm. What's important to me in my parenting? What's important that my child absorbs from me? And that can be a really good guide as well absolutely and you've mentioned I mean we've spoken a little bit about the explosive behaviors you know Mm. the acting out and the getting Mm -hmm. physical yeah when it comes to parents who do have highly sensitive children I know a lot of this you know the thought exercises and zooming out and the disentangling and that sort of stuff certainly applies to highly sensitive kids as well but what else I guess how can parents work out whether they are raising a highly sensitive child versus needing to be a little tougher. Yeah, a really good place to start. So a resource I can point you to, um, there is a book called The Highly Sensitive Child. By, <laughs> yes, I've read it. Oh, thoroughly. you know, you know it and love it. So I I've seen the documentary like, too. <laughs> so good, right? Elaine Aaron mm-hmm. is just incredible and I love her work. So if you're like at the beginning of this journey and you've got these questions about like, oh, is it, is that my child? Do they fit that profile or do they need, you know, boundaries? What is it that we're dealing with here? Start there. That book has a, um, or you can go online actually. She's got the little quiz online and you can read there's her. Ch- yeah. The I was just going to say there's a check a checklist, isn't there? Yes. And it's like, if you've got 15, if your child you know, exhibits 15 of these behaviours, you're likely raising a HSP, a highly sensitive person. Yeah. Yes. So start there. And look, it's not diagnostic. It's not intended to be a diagnostic tool or anything like that. It's just going to give you some some insight and some guidance. And if your child does fit that profile, then it's certainly go and read the book and watch the documentary. It's so much insight there. Um, That would be a good place to start. But what I would encourage you too is when when you're experiencing these challenging behaviours that are coming out of either anxiety or high sensitivity or whatever it might be, instead our default is often to ask, how do we get rid of this behaviour, right? How do I squash this so-called bad behaviour or tricky behaviour? Instead of going there, try to think, what is this behaviour trying to tell me? And that is sort of speaking to the need to look at what's going on underneath, whether there's a need for them to be supported in developing self-regulation skills, maybe there's something else going on, physiology, maybe it's a sleep issue, they're not having enough quality sleep, maybe it's a nutrition issue. You know, if we've really just got to take a, a whole child approach when it comes to this sort of area 
And, yeah, it can take a bit of researching and digging around and listening to different podcasts, but it's it's so worth it if we're looking to, um, you know, really support our kids in the way they individually need it. Yes, absolutely. And I'm so glad that you brought up the, high, the book, The Highly Sensitive Child. It's one mm. that I read um, maybe three years ago now, and then I attended a screening to see the documentary, and it was so helpful for me raising a very sensitive little guy to go ah oh, mm. you know it doesn't mean that there's anything wrong with him um it's just the way he's wired and yeah. another thing that I would suggest for our listeners who perhaps might be nodding along going oh yes I think I'm potentially raising a sensitive child um there are some great books by Judith Orloff on being an empath mm. and Exploring what a true empath is has been so helpful for me because I truly, truly, hand on my heart, believe that my little guy is one of the most empathetic. He's just, he's such an empath. And I see him go through the motions. Like I see, you know, he does go offline and he does shut down when he's in a situation where he's just absorbing too much of everything. And I've even explained it to him in what I think is a really age appropriate way. And that's been really helpful, giving him the the vocabulary to say, yes. I'm feeling overwhelmed by this amount of energy. I need to retreat. And that's what serves him really well is he now knows, okay, if I'm in a situation where I'm feeling out of control and overwhelmed and going offline, he needs to retreat to be able to come back online. So we talk about when we need an introvert moment, when we need a mm. reset moment. Um, and for him, it's often just drawing. He just wants to be left alone for a few minutes, drawing on his own, and then he'll come back out and he's fine. But where was I going with yeah. this? Oh, with the highly sensitive child and also the empath and, you know, all of these things, they can become labels. And I do sort of in my head, I'm like, oh, he's so empathetic. He's my empath child. But labeling them anything, whether it's empath, whether it's funny, whether it's shy, whether it's they're the naughty one, I don't think is technically a great, a great move to sort of give them just one label and be like, yes. this is your identity. So how do we avoid that? As yeah. is, is it simply just going, you know what, instead of saying, this is my funny child, it's <laughs> like, oh, Susie can be really funny at times. Like, is it just as simple as switching the language? Yes, I love that you've raised that because I, I'm completely on the same page with you there too. Um, even though I am working my way towards being a, a psychologist, I'm, I recognise the value in having diagnostic labels, of course, but I think this is something we need to be aware of. We don't want to place any boxes or even gentle fences around our kids because then they have a way of, um, yeah, being self-fulfilling prophecies and absorbing themselves that way. So I think that the best thing to do is certainly recognise and explore these types of um, books and topics and recognise what profiles might be helpful in supporting our kids. But resist be careful in our own language in terms of how we are thinking about them because of course what we think then you know becomes what we how we look at our kids and the way we treat them and interact with them and it you know majority of this happens on a subconscious level but we want to be careful not to be boxing them into anything so I think it starts with language and certainly being aware of our own language and how that influences our thinking too. Mm, I think so as well definitely the language and Something else I try to be mindful of and whether it's, you know, correct or not correct, I'll just share what I find is helpful, is also focusing in on those other traits. So, yes, for example, I often, you know, just when I'm speaking about him but not to him, I will say he's my sensitive little guy. But I would never say that to him. I don't say yeah. you're my sensitive child. <laughs> but what I, what I will say is I talk about, the positives of different behaviors you know when he is being fearless and reckless I'll notice it and it might not it might be verbally like I might say oh my gosh I saw you jump through that wave like mm. you know that was really brave or it could just be as little as like a wink and some eye contact and a nod of encouragement for other traits yeah because he is so funny. He's got this comical timing. He's so incredibly witty that I think, you know, if I labeled him as he's my 
cheeky child mm-hmm. he would really become that self-fulfilling prophecy of being yeah. a class clown and it's like you just it's like what beast you know there's that old proverb of we all have a wolf inside us and the one that wins is the one that we feed yeah. and so as, pa- as parents it's like noticing the different traits within our kids and just acknowledging them as they pop up one by one and not attaching or assigning more meaning to one over the other Yes, absolutely. Yeah, it makes so much sense. And I think that's a good point is that even if they, say you had a child that did fit that um, HSC or HSP profile to a T and you're like, this is them. And I understand when you are coming at that, looking how to best support them and looking for strategies and tools, it's easy to get super excited and be like, ah, because human beings, like we love neat checkboxes, right? It's just being part of the human brain. And we also don't like being other. So when no. we have, when we have, you know, a description of what we are, it's like that's me. Yes, yes. <laughs> I found my home. So yeah, you know, that's comforting. Yeah. And for parents, like what we want is that comfort of being like, aha, I know, I know how to deal with this. I know how to be the best support. Yeah. So I think again, it's being conscious of that that they are evolving constantly changing and while yes certain things will resonate and and hit home and and provide value to us in terms of how best to support them is just being aware that there's a whole lot of other great strengths as well that um, need to be recognized and cultivated as well absolutely because even as adults I don't know I'm sure you can relate but I know myself as an adult when I think someone expects me to be a certain way It is so hard to not be that way. You know, like if you think, oh, you know, my my neighbor expects that I'm really quiet, it's so much easier to be really quiet and not engage in conversation versus, oh, my neighbor expects me to be really lively and extroverted. You know what I mean? Like it's what we expect or what we perceive other people are expecting from us. Yes. We then kind of go ahead and play that role. So I just thought I would touch on that because it's the same with our kids. If you expect them and you only encourage certain behavior or you only give attention to certain behavior, they're probably going to exhibit that behavior. Yeah. Because at their heart too, our kids want to please us. And that that is a truth. So even if they are doing all the challenging things at their core, at their heart, they want parental attention and affection and approval. So they're going to, and it's all subconscious, that's what makes this so complex. Often it's not them mm. saying, oh, I want, I want, mum loves it when I'm X, Y, Z, I'm going to do that. This all happens underneath our awareness. And so they'll, they're going to play into that and, and do that. So it's up to us to be conscious of it so that it's not playing out subconsciously. Yes, asking yourself the question when it comes to tricky behaviour, what need is this meeting for my child? And I can share an example for our listeners just to give some context. When um, we first separated, and actually it was even a year, a year into being separated and our kids having two houses, again, my little sensitive guy, (laughs) um, (laughs) who I'm only labelling for the sake of this podcast because (laughs) I have have two. We got you. (laughs) Yeah, you got me. You know what I'm saying. Um, when he was going in when he was going from my house to his dad's house handovers were absolutely horrific and this kid was saying some really awful things and displaying some really dramatic behavior to the point where I was surprised that when it was happening in public that people weren't actually coming over and being like is this kid actually yours like the way that this child is acting is like signaling that there's a major distress happening and so it was awful it was really traumatizing I would say for all of us and I had to realize and it didn't take me long but I realized oh the need that this is meeting is he gets his whole family together he gets his whole family together for as long as this is going on because we're all held captive you know he's not moving on neither of us can we're all in the one spot and as soon as I as soon as it clicked for me I was like, oh, handovers just need to involve more time or four of us mm. before the actual separation can happen. And it was so much quicker. So rather than having half an hour of trying to talk him off a ledge when he's, he was definitely offline and no amount of threats or encouragement or anything would help, it's, I realised, okay, if, it, you know, when I drop them to their dads, 
I go in and I just invited myself in. I'm coming in. Um, <laughs> and, you know, spend some time with him in that space and he had all of us together. Handovers got so much better because the mm. need that he wanted met was his whole family together. Yeah. Kids are so and smart, right? In the way so that they smart, <laughs> smarter oh my than gosh. us. Emotional yeah. manipulation, yeah. one hundred and one. <laughs> yeah, um, but I think how great is it when we're able to pinpoint what that need is, and there is always a need. No behavior is random, yes. and, and that's, it's, that's how everything. Yeah. Yes, that's why I wanted to share that example because, at the surface, it's actually really, really hard to see what's going on. Like, what is happening? Why is my kid doing this? Particularly with some of the things that they can say and the way they can act out. Mm. But if you can, yeah, go, okay, that's a symptom. What's the cause? What's the need? It's it's a really big unlock. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Mm. And I think the key things is like, because like you said, they can really, they know how to punch us in the heart, <laughs> which oh, can be challenging. Totally. <laughs> so I think the first thing we need to just be aware of is to, make sure that we're regulated ourselves because when we aren't regulated, um, there's no chance basically of co-regulating with them. So, you know, check ourselves first, make sure we're regulated. And then, as you say, look to what is actually the, the trigger here or what's underlying this. And that's, that's how to go about it. Mm, I love that you just used the term co-regulate, co-regulation. Mm. It has been in my vocabulary so much this last couple of months because just learning more about codependency versus co-regulation and what a gift co-regulation is for how particularly dangerous, or not dangerous, but how particularly Mm. tricky codependency can be. Mm -hmm. So I love that term because as parents, we don't want to disentangle completely we can be there and we want to co-regulate our kids but we do have to look after ourselves to be able to do that yeah a hundred percent and that goes into the whole self-care but that's a whole other conversation for oh my time, gosh but yes <laughs> it was it's funny Jackie because you know just for those listening I said to you before we hit record we both have school pickup. <laughs> we won't still be talking then. I could talk to you all day. Me too. Going, but I know that um that we can't. So I would love to have you back on another time to explore some other topics. Amazing. Before before I let you get back to your work day, because I know today is one of your um <laughs> your rare child free days. I don't I don't want to monopolize too much time. Before you get back into that. Do you have space for me to ask you a couple of rapid fire questions so that our listeners can get to know Jackie the person a little bit? Yes, more? yes, let's yes. go. <laughs> let's do it. All right. Must read book. Do you have a oh. book that you can recommend? Oh, without doubt. Game changer for me. Literally a game changer. Untamed by Glenn. Oh, Doyle. yeah. I am wow. right there with you. And <gasps> just yesterday I recorded an episode and it was that was the book that she recommended as oh, well. So there you go. <laughs> if, if our female listeners have not actually if any listeners I don't think many men listen if you're a male listener to the podcast slide in and let me know because I don't think I've ever heard from a what a legend <laughs> yeah there might be one um but yeah untamed by Glennon Doyle oh, and even if you're not a reader get the audio book because yeah. Glennon does the audio for it and I just love the way that she articulates her stories and mm. it's a really great book yeah, for sure. What are three words that you would use to you would use, excuse me, to best describe yourself? Oh, Kylie, that's so hard. <laughs> um, Rapid fire, and then ask you a super deep question. <laughs> I need twenty four hours to reply to that one. No, um, okay, let me think to describe myself. Um, <laughs> I don't know. It's a hard one, isn't it? Without being wanky. Um, oh, I was going to say wank away. That sounds terrible. <laughs> edit that out. Edit that out. Um, I really don't know. I'm really not sure. Um, I would say, um, can I come back to you? I'll come back to you on that one. Okay, pass. We'll come yeah, back to that. Pass. Um, what, what have I got here? Okay, what is something that you would have on your bucket list? Oh, my bucket list. Um, I really want to write a book one day. I'm not sure what that book is, but I know there's a book inside me. So that's definitely on my bucket list. I can see that happening. Oh, <laughs> 100% can see it happening. Oh. Um, 
When do you feel most inspired? Mm, I feel most inspired when I am out of the house with my kids. It's funny, sometimes I think when we're at home, or this happens to me, I don't know if this happens to other people, I just see all the things that have to be done from like the boring house stuff to work stuff to anything else there. But when we get out of the house and we are like at the beach, just running around in our cozies, that is when I have all those like, you know, when you have those feelings of like those downloads that just ping into mm. your mind and little inspo moments. They seem to all download when I'm running around somewhere outside with the kids. Yes, when you're feeling free. Yeah, for sure. Do you have a celebrity crush? <gasps> <gasps> let me think, let me think. Um, this is going to be massively um, vulnerable in exposing my nerdiness now, but let's do it anyway. I guess we'd classify him as a celebrity. There's a um, neuroscience educator called Nathan Wallace. Have you seen him? <laughs> Do you know what? Someone has ta- – is he from New Zealand? Yes, yes, yes. Someone has sent me one of his stories before and said something about, oh, he's the male. Like there was, I can't remember what it was, but I remember the name and going, oh, he's, he's from New Zealand. So I can't, <laughs> I can't think of – I can't think of him in any context. I can't okay. say what he looks like or what he does, but I, yes, I've heard the name. Go and Google him. Um, he is like this. He's from New Zealand. Google him now. He's a neuroscience educator and I follow his work, right, but he's really, really super crazy passionate about translating neuroscience into how it can help kids and he does all this work and this activism in New Zealand. Anyway, I heard him speak my um, – boss from the hospital school that I work at brought him out last year, no, year before COVID, and he came to speak and he's got some some serious energy about him. So I'm going to call it. It's him. Okay. Love that. Love that, of course, it's a neuroscience. <laughs> what? It- <laughs> so good. Um, all right. Words to live by or a favourite quote? Yeah. Um, the one that I just, it's on front and centre of my vision board and I go back to it. Time and time again, let me just quote it properly, Um, what we think we become. When I realised the true power of our thoughts and the way they translate into our beliefs and our actions and the way that our lives play out, just everything changed in my life. So definitely that, what we think we become. I love that. And just because you mentioned vision board, Mm. how important is having a vision board to you? Essential, absolutely essential. The practice of having a vision or a vibration board um, is something I've done for years now and oh, I don't know, maybe that's what the book is that I'm going to write one day. It's it's fascinating to me still. I don't know why I'm surprised but I still do get surprised and, you know, lit up every time something um, manifests that's been on that board. But I think it's just such a valuable practice for people, whether it's personal goals, professional, life things, is to put them somewhere where you can, it's in your vision and your line of sight every day. And, yeah, I just couldn't recommend that more. Absolutely. If we don't have the courage to even dream or to dare to dream or dare to imagine, then it's unlikely that we're going to have the follow-through to bring those things to fruition. I think sometimes people think, oh, a vision board is just, you know, like scrapbooking and crossing your fingers. (laughs) It's so much more than that. It's getting on the vibration of getting clear about what it is that you want to Mm -hmm. attract. And when I say attract, I mean you will attract it through doing the things to obtain it, not attract it just by cutting out a picture and crossing your fingers. So I I love that. Having a vision board is such a great practice. Now... Before you run, what three words best describe oh. you? <laughs> you caught me out. Okay. I think I think um, one would definitely be interested. I'm kind of interested mm-hmm. in, yeah, people's stories and I find I'm one of those people that's always like kind of multi-passionate, going off on little tangents, get interested in things. So that would be one. Um, definitely heart-led, if that can be one word together, heart-led. Um, that's something that. I've learnt to tap into a little bit more my femininity. I was, you know, previously one of those rushing around, constantly doing people, but I've been able to relax in now and really embrace my my feminine and, yeah, be led by my heart. So interested, heart-led, and um, perhaps one I'm ever aspiring to is just to be authentic. I love those words. They're great words. Mm-mm. 
Thanks. Got and authentic. Yeah, brilliant. It has been such a pleasure to speak with you. And as I said, I could honestly just keep talking and keep uncovering different topics and thoughts with you. But we do both have small humans to look after. And <laughs> that little detail. <laughs> that little detail. Um, but where can our community connect with you? Oh, thank you. Okay. So, yeah, it's been a, obviously... I'm sure like everyone can hear it in my voice, a joy for me as well. So thank you. Um, so the best places to find me um, would be over at Instagram. I am at the underscore brave underscore space underscore. A bit annoying, but the brave space is the name of my business. And then I actually, Kylie, if it's okay to mention, I have a free Facebook group called The Mama Huddle um, that is set up to support mums who are raising kids um, that need a little extra support in whatever format that might be. So everyone's welcome to jump in there too. The Mama Huddle, awesome. We will put links to that in the show notes, um, including to your Instagram as well, which I definitely recommend people jump over and hit follow on because you are such an authentic breath of fresh air and I'm so grateful for the work that you're doing and the time that you've held for me today. Oh, thank you. Honestly, total pleasure. So thanks so much. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.